You're listening to Car Free Midwest. We're a podcast based in Omaha, Nebraska, exploring the stories, barriers, and joys of getting around the Midwest without a car. Our goal is to build a community around more transportation equity and less car dependency. I'm Sarah Johnson. And I'm Joshua LeBure. This and this is, is Car Free Midwest. Free Midwest. Today it's we're a nice, taking a trip. Nice <laughs> yes, yes. Today we're taking a trip down to a land not so far from our home in Des Moines, Iowa. Ah, yes, the Moines. Did I sound like a like an old school like you know old documentary host? Cry or something? Oh yeah, that. <laughs> sure, uh-huh. that too. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, some old timey. But it's that voice. You're gonna. You guys mm-hmm. are gonna hear my cat today. I'm sorry, but. That's um, good. My dogs were howling earlier. Every time a fire truck drives by, the dogs howl. It's really cute until you're trying to record. But that's why there's a mute button. I was talking to somebody about radio voice the other day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I was just doing it. You we're try to have a non heard. you try to have a non-regional dialect. But well, that's what Omaha's like all something. about. <laughs> that's why that's why Omaha has so many telemarketers, is because we have no regional dialect you know we don't have any kind of accent or whatever interesting <sighs> yep good times so sarah how are you i'm fine i don't know yeah I'm, i feel like just everything is kind of in flux right now i mean it always is i don't know why i'm just now deciding that like this is something i'm going to pay attention to but um I don't know. I'm just having a hard time knowing what the heck I'm doing just in general. I do know that I'm trying to take better care of myself. And part of that means not being on 24 seven when it comes to mode shift Omaha stuff. So I am actually taking a step back. Um, I feel like I'm just kind of jaded and grumpy all the time. And I don't feel like that's really the right thing to offer to the org anymore. So I'm going to get out of the way and hope that there's some like fresh i don't know inspired folks that'll step up and uh who do whatever they need to do because what i'm doing is not working i don't know i'm sorry to hear that that's going on but you know mode i don't know what to say i don't know what to say no, about that's, that. <laughs> that's fine we'll see we'll see what happens i think it'll be fine the um you know like i think we just need to continue to recognize that like this we're still in the middle of a global plague and shit is just not ever going to be quote unquote normal again nor should it be but i just so i'm just like having a hard time operating like everything's fine and normal and we're just going to continue to do these things that we're doing it's like no i i don't know i think i'm broken and tired and yeah i mean it's been a rough you know couple years i know that i just have felt like I don't know if other people, you know, I know other people are feeling it, but some people <clears throat> seem to be like going and doing things. And I still feel like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. right. <laughs> but I, yeah. I just don't even know how to move forward and be a busy person again. I'm like busy, but I'm like, feel like, I don't know. What a weird couple of years. Yeah, for real. But I am, you know, as usual, when we bring in someone from out of town it's kind of fun to hear about what's happening elsewhere so um was grateful to have an hour of alex's time from the des moines street collective today yeah we reached out to them uh 
they run the B-Cycle program out there. They do advocacy for bike and walk infrastructure. They have a community nonprofit bike shop. Um, so there's some parallels with the work that, you know, Sarah and I was doing with Sarah and being involved with Mode Shift uh, up until recently. And then, you know, I'm on the board of the Community Bike Project. Um, you know, there's a lot of those things happening. So I guess I would like to use this as an opportunity to say, if you want to get involved with these types of things, get in touch with Mode Shift Omaha, get in touch with the Community Bike Project, because the bike union also is no longer the bike union. They're just going to do coffee. So there is kind of, um, you know, the Community Bike Project. I was just down there last couple of weeks ago, I guess, dropping off some bikes and they're talking about how they just got an influx of bikes from the bike union. And um, there's a lot, there's a lot going on and there's a need for more people to get involved because this stuff does not just happen without a lot of support in a lot of different ways. So even if you're sort of interested, reach out to Mode Shift, reach out to, to other advocacy orgs that are doing the work that you appreciate and get involved because it's exhausting. And if you have some money, throw some money, throw some yep. money at them. Exactly. We could certainly hire some more folks if we had some more dollars. But it's one of the things that is interesting, like we just had another small business sign on to be um, a small business member with Mode Shift, but they want to remain anonymous. And it's like, it's interesting because Mode Shift has been kind of the org that is driving a lot of these conversations for years, but we push back on stuff and we call people's bluffs and we ask for more and we demand transparency and accountability. And we don't always say the nice Nebraska, nice stuff that everybody's, you know, it's so, so much toxic positivity here. I feel like, uh, it's kind of an interesting place to be with mode shift because you want to keep pushing those things and you want to keep like asking for better because we know we deserve it. We know it's possible. But also, if you're too vocal, then you don't have the support of the, the people that do play nice, and they do always have to make sure that their name is not attached to anything that's potentially um, disruptive. So it's it's a trick. I don't know. I think, and that's part of the, you know, I've, maybe it sounds a little egomaniacal to think that if I step away from mode shift, it will get a more uh, uh, public following because I know a lot of folks don't like me and my way of doing things. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful for the future of mode shift and I'm grateful that I, you know, I'll still probably be around. I might pop into a meeting once in a while, but I'm not going to be the person everyone should contact whenever they have any question about mode shift. That's the thing that's really been exhausting me. Like I, I've the last couple of weeks, I've been getting text messages from members, board members, community members before 8am on a Saturday, um, before 8am, yesterday after 9 p.m like on weekend it's just all consuming and i'm so fried i'm so burnt out and i just whew, i'm excited to take a step back well with that let's get into our conversation with alex from the des moines street collective Um, I guess, so as, as we were kind of telling you, Alex, this is very free-flowing and casual, but we usually uh, invite folks in from elsewhere and then quiz them a lot about what's going on in their city. So um, if you want to just introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about you and the Des Moines Street Collective. Sure. So uh, my name is Alex Struelens. I'm the operations director for the Street Collective of Greater Des Moines. Um, we're a nonprofit transportation advocacy organization that's been around since for 13 years. Um, I've worked here for five years. 
we operate a community nonprofit bike shop um, where people donate bicycles, we refurbish them, and then either donate them back to the community or sell them. Um, we started out as just a bike shop. It was a volunteer-run organization for about the first three or four years. Um, and then they were able to hire a shop manager and then an executive director, and we just continue to grow from there. We have a staff of about 15 people at, the, at this point, um, and we operate our nonprofit bike shop. We operate the bike share program here in town, which is a Trek B-cycle bike share program. And then we also do our street collective arm of things, which is more the transportation advocacy sort of stuff. That's awesome. Cool, How yeah. did you so I'm actually on the board of uh, the Omaha Community Bike Project. Um, so we have a nonprofit bike shop as well. We do similar things as well. So that's cool that you guys are doing that out there. Have you ever been to the Dwayne Bicycle Collective? I have not. Okay. I just thought you looked familiar. Like maybe I've met you somewhere before, but... <laughs> I don't know. I've been to Des Moines a bunch. Maybe we saw each other somewhere. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think I've tried to go to the Des Moines Bike Collective one time, but I believe it was on a Sunday or a Monday. And I think that maybe those are the days that y'all are closed. Yeah, they something. are. I don't know. That's So I used to own the Omaha Bicycle Company. I closed it in 2019, but we were also closed on Sundays and Mondays. And so we would like take little regional road trips on Sundays and Mondays sometimes. Uh, and I think that that was... Everyone's got to have days off. I'm, I'm very supportive of shops closed for a few days so that you can like attempt to recoup before the onslaught continues. Mm -hmm. So you were saying that you are not from Iowa. What, um, I guess I have a, just a couple questions about what brought you there and then what got you involved with the, the street collective? Well, so we moved to Iowa when I was 13. We moved to the Quad Cities, which is on the Eastern border of Iowa. Um, so I went to high school there in Bettendorf, and then I went to Iowa State University for college. Uh, I graduated in 2014 and then moved to Des Moines shortly after. Um, and I started working at the Bike Collective in 2016. Uh, and I started out as just a, a mechanic. Um, our shop is very like education focused. So the idea is that instead of working on people's bikes for them, you can rent a workbench and then we teach you how to fix your bike yourself. Uh, so I started out as what we call an education and restoration specialist, where the idea is that I fix up bikes for donation and sale and then also teach people how to fix their own bikes. Um, prior to working at the shop, I had never had a job in a bike shop before. I just was really passionate about bikes. I had built a couple of fixies in my garage because I was able to figure those out. No cable systems on them. Uh, <laughs> just able to do that by myself. Um, and then I pretty much just learned everything I know about bikes from working at the shop here. Uh, I had a friend who knew somebody on the board of directors when the job was available. And I ended up applying like literally one hour after they posted the job. Um, and they pretty much just hired me right then and there. So, and I've been working there ever since. Nice. That's, uh, that's, I just, I, what I'm thinking about right now is how, when we were talking earlier, you said that I think that there is a staff of 15 now and y'all started about 13 years ago. So I'm, uh, one of the co-founders of mode shift Omaha, who's one of the sponsors of this podcast. And we are, there's some similarities, but we have one part-time staff. I resigned from the board to become the part-time staff. And I actually just gave them my two weeks, Josh, I haven't told you this yet. Uh, and dear listeners, you're about to find out too, but, um, 
it's so overwhelming to be trying to do this stuff all the time. And it's a, it's a 20 hour a week. Anyway, I won't complain too much about it, but I guess my question is how did the Des Moines bike collective grow? Um, and it seems like it's, you know, sustaining and growing to go from, you know, over 13 years to have 15 staff. How has that looked from your perspective? Well, I should qualify that statement a little bit in that about half of those staff are extremely limited part-time people uh, because not everybody wants to work every weekend. So we have about six people who only work on Saturdays and they work one or two Saturdays a month just to kind of spread that load around so that we all have free time to go ride our bikes. Um, so we have in the shop, we have two full-time employees and then two half-time employees. So we basically have 120 man hours per week uh, working in the shop. Then we have an executive director who's a full-time position. We have two full-time people who run our B-Cycle program, and then another half-time person who helps out with B-Cycle. So that's 100 hours there. Uh, and then we have a full-time communications and outreach manager as well. Um, so full-time people, we have like five. Uh, half-time people, we have two. And then much less than that, we have like six. So, so yeah. So maybe 15 wasn't quite right. Um, but, I mean, it still sounds like more than one part-time person. So yeah. that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. What would you say your favorite part is? Like what keeps you going? Uh, what keeps me going is the, what I like to tell our new staff at the shop is that we're not here to sell bikes. We're here to create cyclists. Uh, because most of the people who come to our shop to purchase a bike, it's their first time they're purchasing a bike as an adult. Uh, they've been to some other bike shops and they've seen those thousand dollar price tags. And they're like, well, I don't know if I want to spend that money. I don't know if I'm really going to use it that much or if I'm going to like it as much as I think. So they come to us, they buy a quality refurbished bicycle for $250. And uh, that's just another person who has an option of riding a bike. Um, when they would otherwise maybe take a car, even if they don't use it for transportation, it's just somebody else who's using the trail infrastructure and can potentially advocate for improved infrastructure. So I think my favorite part is just getting people on bikes any way possible, whether it's buying a bike, our donation programs. Last year, we gave away 317 bicycles to people in the community. Uh, we have partnerships with Habitat for Humanity um, of Greater Des Moines, where anybody who gets a house from Habitat is able to opt into a program where they just receive a free bicycle for us or from us. Um, so about half of the bikes get given away through that program. And then the other half we donate to either our partnership with the U.S. Uh, CRI, the Committee for Refugees and Immigrants, um, and then we have an annual program we call the Bike Back to School Giveaway, where we try to give away at least 100 bicycles in a single day to children who qualify for free and reduced lunch programs. So those parts of the job are the most rewarding, I would say. It's just kind of like giving people bikes and seeing how happy they are when they get them. And it's especially fun when the kids get them because they always just jump on and start riding them barefoot in the snow. And there's all sorts of fun little parts of the job like that. So that Habitat for Humanity idea is such a good idea. <laughs>
Yeah, it's incredible. And it's great because with the way that we think about those bikes is their neighborhood bikes, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a way for you to kind of explore your neighborhood, get to know your friends and neighbors who live close by. The bikes that we use for that program are generally more of those big box store bikes that are donated in good condition to the point where like we don't want to scrap them out and recycle them for parts. Um, but they're not necessarily something that's going to go on our sales floor either. So it's kind of a really good avenue for people who are going to use these bikes for shorter distances. Mostly, most, almost every single one is a family. So it's more like mom and dad riding around the neighborhood with the kids. So it's a really good way to keep those bikes alive and keep them in use um, in a way that might not happen otherwise. Well, it's so important to, to, to promote the idea of bicycles as being like a way to explore your neighborhood as well. I think that's definitely something that is kind of missing a lot of times in the conversation. And I think that's so smart. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit about just your personal history with cycling and transportation around Des Moines. Yes. So I, I moved to Des Moines in uh, late 2015, and um, I was just working at a restaurant. And so I lived downtown and I worked in the East Village. Uh, my commute was about a mile. So I would just ride my bike every day to get to work. Um, and being new to the city, I didn't really know many people. I had a lot of free time. And we have a really good off street trail infrastructure here in Des Moines. So I would usually just get off work and go for a bike ride for an hour or two and just kind of start to explore the city, uh, get to know places. And um, I, you know, if it wasn't for that trail infrastructure, I don't know if I would have stayed because I probably would have just gotten bored and maybe moved to a bigger city with other things that are of interest to me. Um, so the trail infrastructure, I would say, was really important in my ability to stay here in Des Moines and feel like I had things to do and places to explore. Uh, then once I was here for a little while, got to know some people. Can um, I hit on that for just one second? I just want to hit yeah, on no that problem. for a second. Because that's just such a huge thing that we're facing here in Omaha is that we're, we have like a huge turnover rate we have a really hard time retaining young people in Omaha, like more so than other Midwest cities. And, and I think that what you just said, like having that off street trail infrastructure being such a huge part of you staying, and that's the same thing, you know, I've only lived in Omaha for a few years, but that's like one of the things that I just loved about the city I lived in last is that uh, I lived in Denver, you know, for a very long time. And, you know, our trail system was such a huge part of like what made me, you know, be able to get around Denver. And then I came here and our infrastructure is just not great. And we're having a really hard time investing. Our city is just not investing in it. Um, so I, I want to touch on that a little bit because when I was in Des Moines last, I noticed, uh, you know, one neighborhood I was in you know, they're building a brand new, um, you know, protected bike lane in the neighborhood I was in. It's over by, uh, I don't remember what that neighborhood's called, but it's over by, it's a Thai restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Ingersoll. Okay. Yeah. That'd be the uh, Ingersoll neighborhood. Yeah. 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 So we were over there and I just was just 
you know, so impressed with that, that bike lane. And, and at the same time here in Omaha, we're, t- we have a pilot program for our per- first protected bike lane and it's a pilot program. Mode shift worked for almost a decade or a decade to, to get it done. And now it's a pilot program and our mayor will not invest in making it permanent. And it's literally just paint. And what are those called, Sarah? Bollards, a few plastic yeah. bollards. And a few plastic bollards. Well, I would like to uh, comment on something in that I might be making Des Moines seem like a little bit rosier picture than it is because we had a similar issue a couple of years ago that I think would be interesting for you guys. So the East Village uh, is, I'd, I'd equate it to kind of the old market area of Omaha. Like it's not, I don't think it's quite as old or cool as the old market is, but it's kind of our like lower buildings, more historical area, a lot of shops and restaurants. Um, and that's where the, the bike collective shop is located as well. So a few years ago on Grand Avenue, which is one of the main thoroughfares of Des Moines, and it runs right through the East Village and right through downtown, they implemented a pilot program for the first protected bike lane in Des Moines. And the idea was to install a bike lane so you would have the sidewalk, you'd have your six-inch curb, the bike lane would be right there against the curb and then moving the parking, the parallel parking of the cars over to the other side of the bike lane. Um, And the way that this program was designed initially was you would have the, like I mentioned, the sidewalk curb, bike lane, another curb. So just the six inch curb built in the middle of the road so that cars would have something to butt up against and they understood where to park. Um, And then you would have the travel lanes for cars. And so this is a proven concept. It's implemented all over the world. And that was the idea behind the infrastructure improvements. It was supposed to go from East 6th Street down to the river. So it was about maybe a little less than a half a mile stretch and about six blocks. Um, What they did instead for their pilot program was instead of just putting that secondary curb in the road so the cars understood how to interact with it, they just put some plastic bollards up for the ever present (laughs) bane of my existence of saying the snow plows can't do it. So the idea was that they'd have plastic bollards that would be removed in the winter time so that the snow plows could clear the snow. And basically it, it sort of tore the neighborhood in half uh, because you had people who were pro bike lane infrastructure and then you had those who were completely against it. Um, and I really think the whole issue came down to the fact that instead of just implementing the program the way that it should have been the way it was designed with that curb in the first place, uh, they they basically left those bollards in place for about eight months. The city was not in support of it at the time. Our city council was not in support of it. The council member who represented the ward at the time was not in support of it. The neighborhood association kind of like fractured into different factions and half of the board of the neighborhood association was not in favor of it. And as a result, they left it in place long enough for everybody to get mad about it. And then they tore it all out. And so now we have the the bike lanes where it's the car travel lane, 
bike lane in a door zone, car parking and then sidewalk. And it's very frustrating for me because our shop is right around the corner from that. And so I was privy to this whole situation as it went on. And if they had just done it the way that it had been designed in the first place, we would still have those protected lanes in place. So I understand where you're coming from, Sarah, when you say it can be really frustrating with these sorts of things because they use these small excuses. And the thing is the installation and then taking out of that bike lane costs more than it would have just cost to do it right in the first place and pay for that special snow removal machine that can drive down the yeah. bike lane. And we have one now. The city of Des Moines has one now because we've implemented this program in other places where they have to have one of those special machines. So I know for us cyclists and people who are interested in urban design, it can be really frustrating to be on kind of that verge of progress for a Midwestern city, even though they've been doing this the world over for years and years now. Right. Uh, but That's the part that kills me is like, we don't even actually need to do pilots at this point. We're so far behind the times that like we've learned what works elsewhere and we could just implement it. Um, I do have a couple questions about your situation. Well, not yours, your bike lane, Alex, uh, Des Moines pilot lane. So you said that it was up for about eight months. Um, do you know what the timeline was between the idea and the installation of the pilot? And then did the city fund the pilot or did they rely on philanthropy? Uh, the city did fund it. I know that. And I can't say exactly about the timeline, but I know that it was a matter of years. Like not a decade and then philanthropy paid for it like Omaha, because that's where we're at. That's what blows my flipping mind is we waited a decade because there's no political willpower, even though, you know, we all of a sudden now are claiming to care about climate action and like all these other things that would, you know, hypothetically support the fact that bikes should be supported instead of just never ending cars. Um, so part of it is the timeline that drives me bonkers. And then the other thing is we aren't as a city even paying for maintenance, like the philanthropists and the organization that they chose to work with to get some of this implemented, the whole thing is, has nothing to do with city money, not even the maintenance. And so who it's just, it's tough for me. I mean, the mayor was there to cut the ribbon, you know, on the, uh, oh, hey, look, it's a, the pilot lane's open, huzzah. And now the thing that really was kind of one of the last straws is the mayor just announced, oh, we're going to have a shiny new streetcar on the corridor where we've had this pilot lane on Harney Street, which is obviously going to completely transform the use of the street and all this stuff. And like, yes, I understand that a bike lane, protected bike lane and a streetcar could exist on the same corridor, but it's just, it's the way that so much of it's been handled that really irks me, but also just continuing to ignore the less expensive thing that also is proven to improve economic development and actually act as transportation. That's too radical. We can't fund that, but we can manipulate TIF incentives to pay for some shiny streetcar Ah, Omaha is breaking my, my soul, but, uh, okay. So I'll, I'll stop on Omaha. That pilot project you said does not exist anymore, but does Des Moines have other, aside from, I guess the Ingersoll lane, that's going to be a protected piece of infrastructure. Is there like, does it seem, does it feel like there's a network that's going to be built or is it just like, here's one lane. Enjoy. So, uh, the Ingersoll corridor is what they're calling it. Um, Ingersoll is kind of another, it's it's like the commercial area on the west side of downtown. So it's just kind of one road that has some bars and restaurants and a little bit of retail on it. 
Uh, it has always had a door zone bike lane on it, at least as far as I've lived here. Um, and it goes from 19th street to 42nd street. So it's a pretty good stretch. Uh, part of that is through a residential area. Um, and so what they've done now is they've created a cycle path. So it's up at the same level as the sidewalk. Uh, and it's kind of, it's like what you see in Germany, um, where it has like the red paving, uh, and it's just right next to the sidewalk. There's some planters in between for part of the way. It doesn't really keep the pedestrians off of it very well, but that's why you have a bell on your bike. Um, and that's, that goes, so the cycle path infrastructure goes from 19th street to 28th street. Uh, so it's a little bit of a ways, but it's not really that much at this point. Um, and it's only on one side of the street as well. So there's that system that is sort of kind of, they're using as a model to see whether or not it's gonna work and whether they can put it other places in the city. And then we have another area up in the River Bend area, which is kind of our um, more disenfranchised area of town. Uh, but along the Sixth Avenue corridor, they have done a, a side path. So it's a shared sidewalk and cycle path, but it's, I don't know how wide, maybe eight, eight feet wide. Um, and they've reduced the traffic in that area. It used to be two traffic lanes in each direction. It's now a three lane with one of each travel lane and a turning lane in the middle. Um, and then they've widened that side path to increase uh, you know, pedestrian and cycling ability in that area. So those, depending on the area and the amount of use that it gets, they've kind of pioneered these two different methods of off-street cycling infrastructure. And the idea, and that one of the things that our organization is pushing for is to just create more of that sort of infrastructure. And they actually, there's another one that they're working on now along University Avenue, which is another east-west thoroughfare through the city. And that one goes for miles and miles. It goes all the way, connects the eastern suburbs to the western suburbs. And in front of Drake University, and Drake I know has contributed some funding to this, um, they've done a similar cycle path where it's at the same level as the sidewalks, but they've decreased the traffic lanes from two and two to one and one with a turning lane. Um, and they have a cycle path on one side of the street. So, and the idea is to continue that sort of infrastructure from, I know at least about 24th street to 42nd and then have an on-street bike path or bike lane uh, from 42nd all the way to 63rd. So they have made some improvements along the University Avenue corridor as well. So we are slowly getting there, um, but a lot of the university corridor was funding for that was provided by Windsor Heights or uh, like not the Des Moines City Council basically. Um, and then other parts of it, I know at least were contributed to private organizations like Drake University. Interesting. And a lot of that's, sorry, really quick, Josh, and then I'll let you, but that's protected infrastructure. I know we were talking about like raised, you know, cycle paths and that sort of thing, but the on-street facilities are going to be protected or is it just going to be paint? The on-street facilities are not protected. Okay. So it goes from like a raised cycle path 
and then west of 42nd street there is nothing right now there's a gap until you get to 56th street and then there's a uh, a side path so just a wider sidewalk along this public golf course and then west of that it turns into just an on-street bike lane from what no i could tell like it seems very similar to lincoln as far as when i was there just like the amount from what i could tell but i haven't ridden a bike around des moines yet so um mostly just walk have and driving. another plus one for the trails because yes you go to des moines and you're like oh my gosh i can just kind of ride to this brewery into this area and you know it's it seems like functional connective and yeah usable instead of just like in omaha it's like here's a creek let's put a piece of concrete by it and yeah lincoln same story josh i think you're right as far as like on street is maybe not all protected but it's a network and then the the trails are really useful yeah i've gotten around lincoln really easily on a bike whereas omaha is a little bit more of an adventure (laughs) um and in that ingersoll neighborhood lucky lotus is just so good just so tasty (laughs) yeah i haven't been there yet but uh, i have heard nothing but good things yeah me and my wife are both vegan and we were at uh the collective uh was the name of the store it's like a it's like a no packaging vegan store and the girl that owns it was like you have to go to lucky lotus so we went and i'm obsessed now (laughs) i had something else i wanted to get to and now i'm spacing on it well i while you're thinking about it the uh sarah you mentioned something about the trails in des moines being functional um and i would say they are up to a point but they they're primarily recreational. Um, most of them run through like our big waterworks park is probably the most uh, used one of the trails. Um, most of them don't really connect a lot of the areas that could use trails. There's a lot of connections to Western suburbs um, where people use them recreationally but there's not a lot of connection to the north side or the river bend area or the east side and i live on the south side and there's not a single bike trail or any sort of bike infrastructure on the entire south side um there is one road southwest 14th street that is one extremely hilly and two it just has sharrows painted on it and a 30 mile per hour speed limit Uh, It goes by a couple of schools and there's like a couple speed bumps in front of the schools, but that's the extent of the cycling infrastructure on the entire south side. Uh, They recently installed a sidewalk along Fleur Drive, which is like one of the main north-south corridors on the south side. It connects to the airport. Um, And there was a basically a two-year-long battle to get a sidewalk installed on just one stretch of that road where there had been like a, a dirt cow path for years because it was clearly needed that it was, or it's clearly evident that a sidewalk was needed and there just wasn't the will to get it installed. So while we do have an extensive trail system and it's really good for recreation, it pretty much connects parks to parks. It doesn't do a lot as far as providing good transportation for people. I'm curious, is does the city of Des Moines consider their trail system transportation or is it just considered primarily recreation? 
just within the last year, Sarah and Mode Shift, they were working on changing our, um, basically they were trying to close the bike paths down at like 10 or something like that. And that's how it's always been. So uh, trails in Omaha are considered recreation. And so Mode Shift had a pretty decent win last year with getting them to understand that trails are transportation as well as recreation and access to natural resources and all the things, but like transportation. So they shouldn't close from 11 PM to 5 AM, which they always have, because if you're working the the late shift uh, and you have to ride home and the safest route is through a park, then you're instantly breaking the law just because you're trying to get home. So we did work um, with and against the parks department and the city council to get them to recognize that, um, trails are transportation and should be treated as such. You don't close down Dodge street or whatever, you know, like you certainly would never touch anyone's car infrastructure. So don't mess with bike walk, but also they were attempting to ban electric bicycles on the trails. Um, enough so that before it even went to city council, our parks department created an installed signs that banned electric bikes so hurriedly that they misspelled recreation of parks and recreation. So we pushed back on that. We got them to take down the dumb signs and pointed out how inefficient and ridiculous all that was. And um, yeah, so in Omaha, we're working to help the elected officials, not leaders. I don't say that anymore. Um, understand that like trails are not just cute recreation opportunities, but they actually are vital connections for transportation. Um I want to talk to you about e-bikes at some point. I don't know if now is the time or if Josh, you had something else you wanted to add or any, anything else about that, but you said something about how it's hilly where you are, Alex. And I've been riding an electric bike for health stuff. I closed the shop in 2019 for multiple surgeries, imploding organs and the, and the like. And so I've been riding an electric bike, which at first I was a total hater. I was like, oh my gosh, I used to race 24 hour event mountain bike, blah, blah, blah. Now I don't need a, yeah, I do need a motor. Um, and there's, you know, at first again, stigma from myself and others and i'm just wondering what what the electric bike scene is like in des moines uh i would say it's probably similar to a lot of places where you just see more and more of them every day um personally i'm a big supporter of electric bikes i always have been uh that kind of comes from my idea of wanting to create cyclists however possible um I just see electric bikes as a really useful tool to help people who might not otherwise ride a bike ride a bike um, probably the biggest development in electric bikes is actually our B-Cycle program has a fleet of 165 bicycles and 65 of those are now electric powered. Uh, and they get used like five to 10 times more than our non-electric ones. Um, and there's a lot of, our ridership has just increased exponentially since we got the electric bikes. So uh, they are pedal assist only. There's no throttle on them. Um, and they top out at 17 miles per hour with the electric assist. Um, and so personally, I think Des Moines hasn't adopted any of the, you know, proposed infrastructure by organizations like people for bikes or anything like that. Um, yet I do think that it will probably happen soonish. And by that, I mean, in government terms. So maybe within the next five years, um, but we do have a lot more people riding electric bikes. There's a shop here in town that has been making and selling custom cargo e-bikes, yeah, each e-bike, uh, for the last 10 years. Um, and if you go in Dan's shop now, it's pretty much 
just e-bikes at this point. He's got a few other stuff, but it's e-bikes is definitely the majority of the business that he's doing. And now when you go to some of the other shops like Bike World, which is just a huge store, um, they have a you know probably 50 to 100 e-bikes in stock at any time as well. Um, so they are definitely becoming more popular. You're seeing, I personally at the shop, I'm seeing a lot of people coming in who use them as their primary form of transportation. Uh, a lot of people who don't have cars have e-bikes now because they allow you to get around. Des Moines may be in the Midwest, but we are in the convergence of two rivers. And so we have a lot of elevation in town. Um, and so the e-bikes are really helpful with that sort of thing, especially if you live like on the south side or on the north side where you have a lot of those hills. Um, personally, I would definitely be in favor of adopting the the class one, two, three legislation for using bikes on trails. Um, we have a not insignificant contingent of people who like to put gas powered motors on bikes and ride those on the trails and go 40 miles an hour. And so, and there's no sort of signage or infrastructure at most places that says like no motorized vehicles. Um, so I think there does need to be some clarification uh, at the governmental level to kind of define what is and isn't acceptable on the off street trail infrastructure, but I think the more people on e-bikes, the more people who take an e-bike instead of a car, the better. The whole gas powered thing is actually the reason that Omaha attempted to ban electric bicycles because they were like, oh, there's too many people riding like motorcycles and uh, gas powered golf carts. So like, clearly the recommendation should be to ban electric bicycles. Anyway, so once we got to the bottom of their concerns, we were like, how about you say no gas powered? So, oof, it's... It's all such a fun process and slow. Um, and actually in Nebraska at the state level, we are, um, I think a bill is probably gonna go through without much opposition, specifically talking about the three different classes of e-bikes. So it's slow, like you said, government terms, everything is like molasses, but it's happening. I wanna see more e-cargo bikes. I think that's the future, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, so somebody donated a bike to the shop, an electric fat bike that I, I borrowed for a couple of weeks and rode it back and forth to work. Uh, it did have a throttle on it, but there was a bunch of days when I would have driven because it was so cold out, uh, and windy particularly. Um, but with that thing, I was like, well, I can just bundle up and ride in today. So Personally, having access to one, even for just a couple of weeks, made a big difference in my, uh, I mean, I always thought a big easy was cool, but now I'm like, okay, let's get them back in stock. <laughs> so totally. I just, uh, I've had a, a surly big dummy for a long time and I used to like be able-bodied enough to pedal it as, as just human powered, but I just got, um, a Luna cycles mid drive upgrade kit. So it's, it's almost ready to roll. I really think that, yeah, electric. Car. I mean, we, Josh and I talk about electric cargo bike stuff all the time because we think that it really could make a huge difference. But um, yeah, I think everyone should try to ride one. That's something that I've been wanting to like challenge folks that are making decisions about these types of things. Like, you know what, why don't you get around without your car for a week? Like it doesn't have to be your, you know, entire life for 
like some folks, um, but just give it a shot because the folks that are making decisions so rarely actually understand the infrastructure that they're creating and how it impacts folks that really rely on it. Uh, this is a bit of a, unless Josh, were you going to say something? I was just going to say when it's, when I need a new car, I think I'm just going to get a Larry versus Harry e-cargo bike. Yeah. That's, that's it. We share a car and we both have electric bikes here and it, it works well. Do you, I guess that's just a, a nerd question, Alex, what, what's your daily driver? I have a 2008 Kia Optima that I hate and would love to get rid of, but I'm sure you guys know how it is living in the Midwest. It is really difficult to go completely car free. So if I was able to get my own e-cargo bike, I would, uh, really like to consider the option of going at least down to a one car household. Um, and that's something my girlfriend and I have talked about. So, yeah, that's where uh, we're at right now. Sarah and I both are, both of our relationships are one car households. So I'm looking forward to being able to make that step. Well, it's, it's, it's so easier now because my wife got a new job this last year where she works at home. So it makes oh, yeah. it a lot easier because <laughs> I'm the one who I has meant- to travel more daily driver as in what's your bicycle of choice which one uh <laughs> yeah yeah okay there you go that's that's what i want to hear about just for a moment um my well like my main commuter that i ride to work a lot of days is a trek single track 950 26 inch wheel rigid steel frame mountain bike um, i put a surly control fork on it i've got a wall basket on the front and a swift sight guys security style bag on the rear um, that's enough to handle pretty much anything I need to going back and forth to work. Um, I have a, I've got a Soma Wolverine, uh, gravel bike that I ride to work sometimes when I want to go fast. Um, well, I've got also all city nature boy, single speed rim brake that I, that's my fast bike. Uh, <laughs> that thing is really fun. Um, and then I also have a mountain bike and a cyclocross bike as well. So Nice. Josh is showing you his all city in the background. I'm all, uh, hang on, let me turn. Yeah, I have the pink, Mr. Pink. Nice. I've got the purple in Nature Boy. It's just completely purple. Ah, my first like real bike was the all city, uh was the all city uh big block, their first version of it, the maroon one, but back in the day. Right. That nice. was like my first good bike that I bought myself, and I've just been an all-city person ever since. I still am. Um, although right now I only have the Mr. Pink and I am building up a squid, uh, like gravel track bike. <laughs> so oh, track lacrosse. So yeah, practical. I'm building up a track, track lacrosse bike. So I have like, like I'm going to, I have 40 C, uh, uh, gravel King slicks, uh, that are ready to be put on it. And then I just finally, the bottom bracket I've needed is finally in stock because I needed a very specific because the spacing on on the squid is like cyclocross spacing, but on a track bike. So there's like a few parts that are just like really hard to get like the uh, like the rear hub. I only had two choices. Uh, <laughs> and then this bottom bracket I couldn't find anywhere. So I had to get a white industries one. And like, so I'm going to have a really nice bottom bracket, but it's more than I would usually spend on a bottom bracket Yeah, <laughs> for a yeah, track bike that I'm going to get muddy and dirty. So <laughs> yeah. that's where you want a nice bottom bracket in the muck. So <laughs> that's true. Great. You're, you're, you're right. I'm just cheap. I still have the scrappy. 
I was the scrappy fixed gear kid. I was never the one with all the expensive stuff. <laughs> I'm just trying to validate your choices, Josh. You're doing yeah, it's okay. It's going to be a nice yourself. bottom bracket. I'm very excited. Delightful. Um, I know we're getting towards the top of the hour, but I'm just wondering, I know we've talked a lot about bicycle stuff because I think probably the three of us, that's, that's our jam, but do you, um, with the, the collective in Des Moines, do y'all work on transit and walkability stuff or is it pretty much bike specific? Uh, so that's, we adopted a new strategic plan in 2019, uh, to try to increase our focus on transit and walking. Um, and we've had a couple of really good years financially due to the bike boom created by the pandemic. Um, and so we're hoping this year to be able to hire somebody to focus on expanding our capacity in that realm specifically, because we've had a difficult time making that happen given our current levels of staffing. Um, that being said, there's our, there's not a lot of support for our regional transit program. It's called DART, Des Moines Area Regional Transit Authority. Um, insofar as like a couple of the suburb cities of Ankeny and Grimes are considering pulling support, financial support from DART within the next few years. Uh, it seems like we've maybe been able to prevent that from happening, at least in the short term. Um, but it's it's challenging work, uh, especially when you're dealing with all of these different uh, factions, all these serve something like 12 Polk County cities. Um, so just trying to get enough support going to have the routes be where they need to be, to get people to understand that you can take a bus in this town um, is, it has been really difficult. Like for example, I live two miles from the airport and on the main thoroughfare that takes you to the airport and I can't take a bus to the airport. It, there's not a route that does it. And so there's things like that that are just really, uh difficult and frustrating as somebody who would take the bus if it were more like in my last apartment i was able to take bus, and then we moved here and I, there's just not really a feasible option um so that's something that we want to focus on um but up to the point we haven't really had the the staffing of the resources to get a lot done in that department something we talk about with mode shift is like so, you know, we're bike, walk, transit. Now we have a missing middle housing team. Like we have all of these teams and it's just like, in my opinion, it's kind of too much to keep track of all of it with at least, you know, again, with the, the staffing issues that we have. But um, yeah, I just, when I was talking about that sidewalk, that was such a, a battle to get, I was just wondering how the Des Moines Street Collective played into more than streets if sidewalks was on your radar. So it'll be interesting to follow and see if that does happen. Sidewalks is definitely one of our main priorities right now, um, trying to fill in sidewalk gaps. And that is something that we've had some success with as far as garnering support in the city council. Uh, we have one member who is quite supportive. And then we have another member who actually was a founder of the Des Moines Bike Collective 13 years ago when we started. He was now on city council. So he's generally in favor of these sorts of transit programs. but you always have to play politics and 
you know, we're not able to get as much done as we would maybe want to even having him on the council. Um, but Des Moines has committed to, I think something like $10 million over the next 10 years to start to fill sidewalk gaps. And one of our main priorities for next year is pushing them to have that time frame. So take that money in the next five years and really get some of these done. Like I live uh, very close to a middle school and there's no sidewalk on the street to get to the middle school. And there's a huge apartment complex just on the other side of the street and a ton of those kids walk to school. But at times like this, when there's 14 inches of snow on the ground that hasn't melted yet, they're walking in the street and it's a 30 mile per hour speed limit and it's just not safe. So that's one of our main um, priorities for the coming years to try to get more of these sidewalk gaps filled and get more awareness built up around this issue. When you said safety, it made me think of Vision Zero. Is that a conversation that's being had uh, in Des Moines as Vision Zero being the concept and initiative that different cities are signing on to that says zero is the right goal. That's the right number of folks that we should hope will die or be seriously injured on our roads. Uh, does Des Moines have any conversation around Vision Zero? Um, I know there is at the state level, uh, but I, I don't know that there's a lot of that conversation going on at the city level. It's more focused on like the interstate highway system at the state level than it is at just the like pedestrian level in the cities. It's another thing Omaha has been talking about for years now because Mode Shift Omaha pushed the city of Omaha to get behind the Vision Zero initiative. So they put together a task force to see if that was the right idea. The task force says, yeah, probably would be fine to kill no one on the streets. So then we finally hired a Vision Zero coordinator. He's been positioned in the Public Works Department, which is a whole other story we won't get into today, but he's been there for over a year. And now all that he has done is put out an RFP for consultants to come help with the Vision Zero plan. There's been no communication, no action. It's so I don't know. I was excited about the prospect of Vision Zero actually meeting for something in Omaha, but so far, not so much. Yeah, the Des Moines did hire a bicycle and pedestrian coordinator. Um, I want to say probably three years ago now. Uh, and we work closely with him um, on basically everything. Uh, he's kind of like our main contact within the city staff. Um, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of political will to let him accomplish the projects that he knows could make a real difference. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. That's, uh, Omaha did have a, a bike ped coordinator hired by the previous mayor, um, like 10 years ago. And then our current mayor who now just got elected into her third four-year term. Um, but when she was initially elected, that was the first budget she passed. She was like, we don't need a bike ped coordinator. We already look at that bike lane. We don't need, this is well, waste of money. So yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. That's why, so that's why we have car-free Midwest is because we like to, you know, dream about what could be if there was political willpower and things could actually get done. Like we know will work. Um, and then we, you know, bring on folks like you to commiserate and learn from what's happening elsewhere or at least dream for better. <laughs> Is there anything we should touch on before we head out? I just want to say thanks for having me on. It's, it's been fun talking to you guys about this kind of stuff. And I hope uh, sharing some knowledge of what's going on in Des Moines is helpful to you guys and your listeners. And just thanks for reaching out. 
And where can people it's, find out more about the Street Collective? Yeah, come visit if you're ever back in town, not on a Sunday or Monday. <laughs> I will make a point now that I'm going to have more free time. That's one of my goals is to get out of Omaha a little bit more regularly, even if we're not moving somewhere tomorrow, just like getting the heck out of town and, you know, realizing that there's there's cool stuff going on all over the Midwest. So thank you for being part of this conversation, Alex. And that does it for this episode of Car Free Midwest. We're here every other week with interviews, topics, and documentary pieces covering all things transportation. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Car Free Midwest or visit us at carfreemidwest.com. So subscribe now to Car Free Midwest wherever you listen to podcasts and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash carfreemidwest. This is a production of Figure Podcasts, figurepodcast.com. With support from Mode Shift Omaha, modeshiftomaha.org. And we only had one episode in January, so expect three this month.